Though they're publicly funded and tuition-free, charter schools differ from traditional public schools in key ways. Conceived over 25 years ago in Minnesota as a means to loosen red tape around public schools and free up educators to innovate, charters have since grown into a national movement that spans 44 states plus the District of Columbia and includes about 7,000 schools and 3 million students, according to federal figures. Welcome to Route 51. I'm Shireen Seward. Today, we take a look at a few of the charter schools available in both Wausau and Eau Claire and what makes them different from traditional public school education. Later in the program, we'll speak with Sarah Fisher from the Eau Claire School District and Elizabeth Channel from the Wausau area Montessori School. But first, we'll hear about a new school opening in Wausau soon that relies on the Waldorf curriculum model. Chamomile Nuss is the co-founder of the Red Granite Elementary School in Wausau. She joins us now for an overview. Chamomile, welcome to Route 51. Thank you so much for having me. This must be an exciting time for you. I mean, things are just ramping up. The school is going to is going to open pretty soon and I can see the smile on your face and and I can hear it in your voice too. How are you feeling about it? I am thrilled. I'm thrilled with the interest and the support that we've had from the Wasa community and I am crazy busy just planning all of the details, putting all of the the pieces in place to make sure that we are ready and prepared for students to enter our classrooms in September. And you're taking applications now, right? We are taking applications now until March 1st. And for year one, we are enrolling students in pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, first and second grade. In year two, our school will double and we'll be adding third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. The following year, we'll add seventh, and then we'll add eighth, and that will be our our school will be full um, once we have pre-K through eighth, and we'll be just single tracking, which means we'll have one classroom per grade. Okay. Well, I understand that Red Granite is a Waldorf-inspired charter school, and it aligns with the sustainable education model. I have a lot of questions about that, but first, what is sustainable education? Right. That's a great question. So sustainable education makes sure that all of the pieces are being put into place, one, so that it's sustainable for the students and the teachers in their ability to participate in the education, but two, that it's a foundation of an understanding of sustainability. And sustainability is huge. It really touches every single aspect of our life. Um, It's the sustainability of our environment. So this is a very environmentally focused charter school. The children are outside a huge um, portion of the time, especially our early childhood students in pre-kindergarten and kindergarten into first and second grade, but really throughout all of the grades. Um, And so they're getting a deep understanding of the world around them and the importance of caring for that world. Uh, It's also how we interact with our students, creating spaces that are um, really developmentally appropriate. So we bring a curriculum that focuses on the whole child, so the head, heart, and the hands. And with that type of education is just a deeper understanding of maybe the needs that the students have. So you're going to see in our younger students that it's a fully play-based early childhood program. And that's really, again, this developmental approach. Where are kids' brains at at different stages in their life? And how are we bringing a curriculum that really meets that developmental stage of their brain capacity? When students are young, 
long they learn through imitation. So we try to create a world that's just full of opportunities for them to be creative and to have adults in their sphere that they're able to imitate. But then around age six or seven, their brains go through a pretty significant developmental change where they're able to take on abstract concepts in a very different way. So you'll see first through the grades that the curriculum becomes much more heady in that we're bringing math and language arts and sciences in a more significant way than we are in those younger years. What are some of the main differences really between the Waldorf model and the traditional educational model as we know it? Yeah, so definitely that's one that you're not going to, you know, see what you would maybe typically think of as a traditional, you know, education during those founding years. We're really preparing students to be successful in their later years of school. So it's um, kind of a delayed curriculum Um we really work to have patience so that we, uh, the students are ready when that curriculum is brought to them. And that means that they then are able to learn it really quickly instead of potentially struggling with that curriculum. Um, teachers also follow the students and that's another big difference. So we call this looping. So often a loop could go through like a first through fourth grade and then they might have another second teacher for a fifth through eighth grade. And this builds a long-term relationship between the teacher and the student. And this means that the teachers are really able to develop the curriculum around the students that they have in their classrooms and build on the capacities from year to year. These long-term relationships are healthy for our students and for the teachers. Uh, and that's a big difference. Another big difference is it's an integrated curriculum. So you're not gonna see subjects broken out where they'll go to a math class and then they'll go to a science class and then they'll go to a history class. Those subjects are interwoven together so that students can see the interconnectedness of the world. And it's really how we live in the world, right? Things are all connected. They're not separated into silos. And so that's how our students uh, are developing right from the start. We also teach from the large to the parts versus teaching from the parts to the larger picture. And so you're gonna see this in concepts. So for instance, in first grade, we teach the cons all four processes concepts so that students understand the relationship between math, um, their multiplication, division, addition, and subtraction versus just, again, not teaching them in silos and little pieces, but trying to give them the big picture. And then we break it down into the parts. And we do the same thing with reading. Interesting. I, I'm really curious about the process. Um, what was it like getting Red Granite started and like kind of getting the buy-in that you needed from the school administration? Oh, great question. Um, so I think I'm going to start with a little of my history because I think it helps build the picture. Great. So I am one of the founders of the Tamarva Community Charter Schools, which is another public Waldorf charter school here in Wisconsin, down in the Amherst area. So about an hour south of Wausau. And that school is in its 11th year of operation. And it's um, a pre-K through eighth grade as well. And in addition to that, they have a virtual program. Um, I then was able to be one of the founders for a high school, a public Waldorf high school that's down in that area. 
And through that, we had a lot of interest from the Wausau area, consistently right from the opening of the school. But an hour is a long way to travel. We had some parents that were doing that trip, you know, multiple times every day. And uh, that's really hard on the families. That's really hard on the parents. That's really hard on the kids. And that's part of the reason we developed our um virtual program is to be able to offer Waldorf curriculum for uh, families and students across the state of Wisconsin. Um, currently, that's the only public Waldorf school in the state. And it's uh, an education style that's one of the fastest education styles growing in the United States. And people want it, right? So how can we bring it to more people? Um, I was approached by uh, the other co-founder, Megan Hughes, who lives here in Wausau. And um, we've been friends since uh, we were very young, our parents, our friends. And she knew that I, I started this school in Amherst. And she said, hey, you know, I need a school like this for my kids. I just really don't want to drive them all the way down to Amherst. And I know that this style of education most closely matches um, my family's, you know, understanding of education and how we want to bring it to, to our kids. And so we started working on this project about three years ago and, you know, developed a plan and brought it to the Wassa School District. And, you know, so far, huge um, support by everybody that's um, that we've brought this idea to. Uh, every vote that the Wassa School District has made has been completely unanimously in favor of what we've been bringing. And so that was um, to start the school. We then applied for a large federal grant and received it. And that's a five-year grant. It covers this first year of planning and then uh, four years of implementation. And those grant funds really go to the found foundation, right? Setting that foundation for the school. Um, and so that's a $2 million grant that we received. Um, we got our charter contract approved and I've been working very closely with the administrative team here um, at the Wausau School District to support the, the implementation of the school. They have multiple other charter schools, as you'll, you're going to talk to Elizabeth, um, but this, you know, this school is a little different than the other schools that they have. And I think it's been exciting to kind of um, push on some of those boundaries that exist and, you know, bring these new concepts and ideas. I also work with the Wisconsin Resource Center for Charter Schools, which is an organization that supports the development of charter schools across the state of Wisconsin, um, especially schools that are receiving these public charter school grant funds to help start those schools. And so they've been a huge supporter. Um, and yeah, just another great resource. Why do you think charter schools are so important to the educational landscape in, in public great. districts? Yeah, great question. So charter schools have been around in Wisconsin for quite some time. Um, Right now we have just over 230 charter schools across the state. And, you know, in so many of our rural school districts, there is one option for education. And if that option is not a great fit for your family, or maybe your student is struggling just in that implementation style of education, there's really no other choice unless you decide to homeschool or maybe do a virtual program. Um, but again, that's a whole lot of uh, engagement necessary by the parents for for either of those of those choices, and so charter schools are living laboratories. It's this opportunity to explore new ways of implementing curriculum with our students, and the whole idea around charter schools is that if there's things that work really well in these living laboratories, these charter schools where we're, you know, experimenting with new things, that then our traditional school system would start taking on some of those practices. And what that means is that 
virtually every charter school you walk into is going to look different. There's not one kind of charter school. There's many different kinds of charter schools across the state providing a whole multitude of um, educational pedagogies that they're implementing. And this opportunity for choice is just such a great benefit, not only to our students in the state, but also to families um, that just didn't previously have a choice option. Most of our charter schools are chartered, which is a contract between the governing board of the school and an authorizer. Most of our authorizers are school districts, just as Red Granite is being authorized by the Wausau School District. But um, more recently, the state has now um, opened up opportunities for independent charter schools. And so those are charter schools that are authorized through a different authorizing agency. Currently, the approved authorizing agencies in the state are um, our public universities like the UW systems and our technical colleges and some of our tribes. And but those are those are newer, so there's not as many. And most of the ones that exist are authorized through the Office of Educational Opportunity, which is part of uh, UW systems and is mandated by the state that there's this office that exists so that we can have independent charter schools. And the importance of having those is if a school wants to open in an area where the school district is not in favor of starting a charter school and being the authorizer, then um, in the past, that, that's it. There's no opportunity for a charter school to open in that area. And now there is. And that's really lovely um, that, that we have that opportunity in the state. Where can people go to learn more about the Red Granite Charter School? Oh, thanks. Um, uh, you can visit our website, um, redgranite.org, and that's where you can find information on how to apply. Again, we are accepting applications now through March 1st, and uh, you can find all sorts of information about our pedagogy, about our school, about our location, which is going to be at Monk Bot Botanical Gardens, which is absolutely a beautiful spot Gorgeous for an place. outdoor education charter school. Yeah. Um, and we are also very available by phone or by email so please reach out with questions. Chamomile, thank you so much for joining me today. I truly appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Chamomile Nuss is co-founder of the Red Granite School in Wausau. It's a new charter school for elementary students that's opening soon. Ahead, we'll take a look at Montessori education in Wausau and later in the program, we'll hear about a dual immersion program for elementary students in Eau Claire. I'm Shireen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. Back on Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio, I'm Shireen Seward. Ahead, we'll hear from Sarah Fisher with the Eau Claire School District, but now we continue our look at local educational models with Elizabeth Channel. She's head of school for the Wausau Area Montessori School. Elizabeth, welcome to the program. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you so much. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself and your background, how you got involved in this. Yeah, so um, I am originally from North Carolina, and I was fortunate enough to marry my husband, who was a Marine serving. Um, we moved to Okinawa, Japan and lived there for about four years where our two sons were born um, and moved to the Wasa area because we'd have family all over. And my husband wanted to live closest to his younger brother. So here we are. And I recognized that all through my 14 years of teaching at that time, I really found myself deviating from trying to whole group teach. Um, 
I had colleagues who would stand in front of the classroom and deliver instruction um, that was very effective for them. But I found that being with the children and breaking them into small groups really benefited the children that I taught. And when the opportunity came for this position here at our uh, Montessori Charter School, um, I looked into it and I said, oh my goodness, this is what I've been doing. I just didn't realize this is where my little niche was. So I applied for the position, had the pleasure of working as a classroom guide, teaching in the classroom and being the principal. And it has just been an amazing adventure. So let's talk about the Montessori method and what makes it unique and what makes it different from the traditional classroom setting. Yes, we focus on hands-on learning. I know that we talk about in that in the educational field a whole lot, um, but we have Montessori materials that were perfectly made to engage children to want to go touch them. There are beautiful materials that sit on the shelves. Um, and we want children to touch things concretely so that they can learn how to do the more abstract things like multiplication algorithms, um, be able to, to process through language and all of that. So part of us is that hands-on learning. So more of a kind of a sensory experience then? Yes, definitely a sensory experience. Um, we have multi-age classrooms. So we have the ability to have children from three different grade levels in one classroom together. They have a chance to learn from each other. They learn how to lead. They learn how to follow. They learn how to collaborate, communicate, um, all of those essential skills that we really want children to have as they move up and go out into our community. You have a, a little bit of history on Montessori being part of the Wausau School District. It's been there for a while now, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is our 18th school year. Oh, my. Okay. I, I feel that makes me feel old because my <laughs> because my children were at Montessori when it first started. I'm like, what, was that really 18 years ago? Uh, crazy. Crazy. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, and tell me about the grades that it serves, because I know that there's been some expansion and there's been some talk of expansion as well. So talk about that a little bit. Yes. Yeah, so our school started in 2005 um, and it was a first through fifth grade school with time added sixth grade and kindergarten. Um, and since I have been a part of the school, we really have a great group of parents that advocated for that expansion. So we asked the Wausau School District Board of Education for permission to expand down to 4K and up through eighth grade. So starting next year, we will get to add our 4K students as we've already been able to add seventh and eighth grade. And it has just been wonderful to be able to offer that um, expansion to our families in the community. What has the response been when when you expanded for seventh and eighth grade and then you announced that you were going to add a pre-K thing? I mean, what did you hear from from parents and people in the community? We had parents that overwhelmingly said, please make sure you open 4K next year. Um, we have families that have come and toured our school two years in advance of their children being of age to come to our school. Um, and so they have been anxiously waiting for us to be able to offer a 4K opportunity. Um, we know how difficult it is to find good quality childcare. We know that it's difficult to find really great 4K. And our district offers 4K in our community sites, 4K through some other partnerships. And I'm so grateful that we also get to offer 4K as one of those options. What are some of the benefits you can see when it comes to this kind of education? What, what do you see when you're 
when you're looking at the students in your classroom, what, what, what are the tangible things that you can say, yep, that's because they're in a Montessori classroom? I would definitely say our access and emphasis on practical life. We want to make sure that everything that we are doing in our classroom um, is going to be something that children can transfer that knowledge into being a supportive, good quality citizen in the Wassa area or wherever they end up um, in the future. And so when you're walking into our classrooms, you will see children learning how to integrate and talk to children who are not similar to them. They will, um, they have gained skills in being able to use that communication. They can collaborate. Um, we encourage them to critical think and be able to break down and think through and problem solve. Um, one of the things that, that we've noticed in society is um, we need to take a pause sometimes in, in thinking through and making sure we understand the intent behind someone else's actions. And we really intentionally teach that to children. It, you may think you know, but if you don't really know, ask the questions and find a way to come to a common ground, especially if there is conflict. Is there a, is there a type of child that thrives at Montessori or, uh, I, I don't know how to say this right. I mean, can, I guess, can Montessori work for any child or is it for a child who's maybe gifted in some way or has, uh, um, you know, issues in the classroom? I, what is the Montessori child? The Montessori child is a human child. I think that we have children that that kind of span the gamut. We have children who are gifted and talented. We have children who are general functioning in the classroom. Um, we have children that have special ed needs. But at the end of the day, we all have gifts. And our whole philosophy is trying to tap into those gifts and really help children understand that they have a place in this world. They have a place in our community. And what are the great things about you that we can cultivate so that you can use those as those gifts when you get older. What about children with disabilities? What kinds of accommodations do you make for, for children who have some special needs? Yep, we do have some support. Um, being a part of the school district, we do have support for children who have um, some additional needs, um, but we are always moving children in the direction of, we want them to be independent thinkers, independent learners. And when they're in the classroom, they need to be able to complete work um, with minimal adult support. And so that is always the path that we're working towards so that they can feel that independence and autonomy, which is what they're going to need once they get out into the world. You talked about the grades being served. You're adding pre-K. Uh, the, the school added seventh and eighth grade some years back. Do you ever envision a day where there's a Montessori high school in this community? I would love that. Um, I have parents right now that have asked for that. Um, I have reminded them that we need to go slow to go fast. So we have our 4K through eighth grade expansion right now. And that is where we're focused and very grateful for. Um, it would be wonderful to have um, a Montessori school that goes all the way up to high school. There's another one in our state that I had the opportunity to visit uh, back in the fall. And they do great things for children. And I, I would love to be able to do that here in the Wasa area as well. Well, we'll have to see what happens with, with yes. that. <laughs> Montessori was really kind of the first elementary school charter in Wasa. Why do you think this model was chosen? Why do you think that this, that the Montessori method was attractive to the school district and the parents? I would say that parents at that time, from what has been shared with me, um, 
they were looking for something different. They were looking for something that um, allowed for that creativity um, to be able to be shown in the classroom. And uh, I think our traditional classrooms do a great job of educating children. I also think Montessori is a great way to educate children. So um, I think families were just looking for something that was just a little bit different, that maybe met more of those practical life needs, that met more of that, um, what we're hoping to see our children become. Elizabeth, what would you say to parents who are thinking about which model is going to be the best for their child? There's choices now. I mean, uh, we talked with, um, you know, about the Red Granite School just a little a little while ago, and that relies on a different form of education yet, you know, different, different theories. And then the traditional model of education certainly works well for, for many kids. So are there resources or questions that parents should be asking themselves? What do you recommend? I recommend that families ask questions. Um, Regardless of the school, I think that all of our um, principals, all of the people in our district are happy to answer questions. I think we really need to focus on where are the the strengths of our children. We have children who like to be on a schedule and they like to have things very predictable that fit very well into a traditional environment. We have children who are able to function in a little bit more freedom with responsibilities that you see in the Montessori environment. So I think the best thing to do is ask questions. Um, I'm always welcome to have families contact me. I love giving tours of our learning space. And I love to be able to um, offer any insight or any guidance that I can offer in order for families to really make the decision that is best for them and best for their child. Take me through a day in the life of a Montessori student. I'm, I'm six years old and I, and I get to the classroom. What can I expect? Yes. When you enter um, our space here, um, Every child is greeted on the playground at drop-off by a staff member. Um, We really want them to feel like they are coming to an extension of their home environment. Um, They enter into the building, they come in and they can have breakfast here at school if they've not had breakfast at home. Um, And then they get into what we call a work cycle. So we try to preserve a three hour work cycle for children to get their work completed and for them to get teacher guided lessons, as well as time that they get to explore things that they're interested in. Um, We have access to our encore classes. So art, music, FIA, library, and guidance. They have that once a day on a five-day rotation. Um, And then we do a 30-minute lunch because I feel like there's a lot of socializing that happens when you're eating a meal. That's what we would hope would happen in a home environment. And then we have a 30 minute recess every day because it's really important for our children to get out there and and get fresh air. Um, When it's cold, when it's warm, we want them to be outside and and reconnect with nature. And um, after that lunch and recess time, there's another small work period and then we dismiss to go home. So every day is purposely designed um, to meet the needs of the individual children that we have the pleasure to serve. Is the homework level about the same as a traditional school or is it different? Our homework looks a little different. Uh, We really feel like being a part of your family, helping with household chores, learning about what your parents do for their career, getting out into the community to do things, engaging in sports activities, doing volunteer activities. Those are the things that we consider homework. Our older students in our seventh and eighth grade 
are getting the opportunity to have some take-home homework because we want them to be able to move up into the high school um, and know what to expect. You mentioned FIED and and music. And I remember in the first early days of Montessori, those were things that they struggled a little bit to incorporate in into the curriculum, music especially. Uh, so how does that work now? It, it sounds like things have changed quite a bit since then. Yes, we have a music teacher that comes to us three days a week and our FIED teacher also comes to us three days a week. So in addition to that 30 minute recess that we have every day, we do have those three days of FIED for our children to get direct instruction from our FIED teacher. Um, our music teacher is very gifted in her in all the things that she knows about music. And so she introduces children to things like playing the ukulele. They play recorders like the other schools do. Um, they've done some bucket drumming and things like that. And so um, we just do our very best to make sure that what they're learning in those Encore classes gets to be um, integrated back into our regular classroom. Encore classes. What does that mean? Yes. Encore are just our specialists. So the art, the music, the FIAD, the library, and the guidance lessons that we have. What's the student to staff ratio like at Montessori and Wausau? This is where people often um, kind of chuckle. We believe bigger is better. And so we have class sizes of 27. That is a sweet spot. Um, so in a class that has three grade levels, we have nine of each of the grade levels with a full-time teacher and a full-time paraprofessional that support the students. And that's enough? That, it, that works well? It does work well. You said yes. it's a sweet spot. How did you figure that out? Well, in the past, we've had 30 students in a classroom and we've had 32 students in a classroom and 27 just works really well. It works well for staff to student ratio. It works well for being able to um, work within the conference fines with um, giving parents enough time to ask questions about their children. Um, it also allows the children to really lean on each other, which is what we're really gathering and hoping for for them because we don't want the adult to always be the center. We want them to understand that they also have a voice and they also have something to give to that classroom community that makes them important and gives them a place to exist. Really a final question for you. I, I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice when you talk about, uh, about your job and, and the Montessori School. What does it mean to you personally to be involved in this? It has been, as I stated before, just an awesome journey. It, I enjoy the fact that I know every child in my building. I know all of my parents and the grandparents that come and are a part of us too. There is a, a love within our Montessori community that is just amazing. And I feel like I become a better educator every day because I have the opportunity to know every single individual child and where they come from and what they need and, and help to be a part of their academic story. Um, I look forward to the days when they graduate and I get to be at their graduations to say, oh my gosh, I remember when you were in children's house in kindergarten. Um, that is something that I hold dear to me for all the children that I've taught in the last 21 years. Where can people go to find out more about the school and, and how to apply? Yes, they can go to our Wausau School District website. Under schools, you can find our school and click there. 
There is a link for prospective family tours. I get those often and invite families in for tours during the school day or after whatever's most convenient. Um, they're also able to give us a call here at the school building as well. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about our great Montessori school. That was Elizabeth Channel, head of school at Wausau Area Montessori Charter School, part of our discussion on charter schools in local communities. Just ahead, we'll continue our conversation about local educational options with Sarah Fisher. She's the principal at Longfellow Elementary School in Eau Claire. She'll join us to talk about a dual immersion program, which offers education for elementary students in both Spanish and English. I'm Shereen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. Back on Route 51, I'm Shereen Seward. Earlier we heard from representatives from two charter schools in the Wausau School District. Now we head to Eau Claire, where a program launched in 2019 educates students in half Spanish and half English instruction throughout the school year. Sarah Fisher is the principal at Longfellow Elementary School, where the dual immersion program is located. She joins us now. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your background, how you how you got into this role? Well, I've been in the, a teacher in the Eau Claire School District for about 28 years. I started out as an ESL teacher, which now we call EL, but basically students who are learning English and did that for about half and then transitioned to um, elementary school principal at Longfellow. Um, and then five-ish years ago, um, was brought into the dual immersion, the development of the dual immersion program uh, process, I guess. And all the theme, at least for me, for all of those 28 years, is um, helping people remove barriers or work around barriers. Like I had a good life and it's been my mission always to help others who have had more challenges than I have. So in all of those roles, that was really my focus. Is that kind of what drew you to ESL and EL programs in general? I mean, just got kind of that that feeling of of wanting to help. Yes. Yep. Completely. Yep. The um, and realizing how it doesn't take a t- you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be able to help. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, and be able to share those, you know, share those skills and and make a difference in people's lives, for sure. Yes. So tell me about the dual immersion program. It's Spanish, right? And yep. what what grades are uh, are involved and how many kids? Uh, just kind of the nuts and bolts. Okay. So 2017-18 and then 18-19 were years of study. There was a team that involved community members, um, staff, board members, um, kind of just studying this. And then our first kindergarten class was 2019-20, that school year. And then each year since then, as that initial kindergarten class goes up, we bring in a new kindergarten. So this year we added fourth. So right now we have kindergarten, we have a classroom, kindergarten through fourth grade. And right now our numbers in that program are about 104. And then next year we'll be adding fifth grade. And our new kindergarten classes 
for each one, the goal is 12 native Spanish speakers, 12 non-native Spanish speakers, so that there's an equal balance of every everyone's learning a language or two, so that when, when we add that other classroom, we'll be right about 128 K-5. Will you cap it at fifth grade, or do you see that this might end up being something that eventually you know, expands even further? Yep, that is something the district is working on, sort of investigating, exploring options for what, how we could offer some selections at sixth grade or beyond to help meet the unique needs of these students. So it's it's in study, in essence, by the district and the team. Interesting. And how was Spanish chosen? I mean, was there an identified need in the community? What what led the district to settle on Spanish? Um, two things. I mean, one, initially in our community, you would think, why don't we do this for Hmong language? Because we had more Hmong speaking families. Um, but that that language tradition is different and isn't traditionally written. It's oral. So not a lot of people read and write Hmong. Um, so it, it it was a very different kind of process. The but We had a board member and um, some other district staff who identified that as the most um, likely to be, as, as the state population has changed and gotten more diverse, identified that as the one that would be most likely to uh, meet needs. Mm -hmm. Take me through a day in the life of a, of a student at your school. I'm, I'm in first grade. I get to school. What's my day like? Yep. Um, your day looks just like everybody else's in ex except for one thing. So like it, the, they cover the same curriculum, all of the same expectations are there. Um, it is just some of it is some of the instruction is in English and some is in Spanish. And so like as an example, and we're a young program, so we're still developing and analyzing and tweaking things and learning from other districts too. But currently um, kindergarten, all of reading language arts, what we call ELA, which would be English language arts, but that felt silly to call it that. So Spanish language arts, um, all of the reading and writing is in Spanish. And then all of the math is in English. And then as they go through the years, they, they blend and transition as their, their um, proficiency increases. And uh, one of the reasons to start with Spanish first in literacy is the, it is, the code is simpler to learn and things transfer to English. You know, English, we have so many um, exceptions to every rule. Mm -hmm. um, Spanish is, is simpler to, and this, I don't want to say simpler to learn, but it has fewer exceptions. Mm -hmm. And so generally it transfers. And that's actually been a really fun thing to see because we read the research, we visited schools, but we're actually seeing now kids who hadn't had any English instruction or very little using many of the same techniques to read in English. So that's been, I guess, a highlight of the past few years is seeing, yeah, okay, this is really working. You know, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. That's so interesting. It's so interesting. I want I want to ask you about some of the benefits of learning 
two languages. And I, I want to tell you that when I was in, I was in the Dominican Republic a few months ago and um, had to go to the clinic and the doctor there was mystified that I didn't know Spanish. And she said, oh, that's right. They don't teach, they don't really teach you that over there. And <laughs> I thought, I, she goes, we just, you know, we learn everything. And I thought, wow, mm -hmm. you know, I guess that's true that we, you know, we don't have really a focus on learning another language or several languages the way that some other countries' educational systems do. So what are the benefits of that? And why do you think we don't do it more often? Yeah, great question. Um, the, I mean, the, the goals of, the, of any dual immersion program are high levels of um, bilingualism and biliteracy. So not just speaking, but reading and writing in both languages. And then the other is high academic achievement in both languages. So those are high high goals, and obviously, the, I mean the the benefit to that is what a global world we live in right now, with more and more people needing more and more skills to interact with people different than they grew up with, and that that would include language. Um, so the another benefit of it is where it's it's one way to try to serve kids who may have we may not have been serving as well as we could have been before um so the idea is that it's additive for both spanish speakers and english speakers that we're not replacing anyone's language both are awesome and we're trying to build both i mean the benefits are there have been all sorts of um funds cross-cultural connections and celebrations like our school is well known for having a great culture um just how it feels when you walk in um and we're honestly quite proud of that um and and this has been a fun addition to that whole it like brought another layer to an already great culture um so it's been fun to watch all of that blend and sort of into sort of um, families like friendships forming outside of school. If let's say uh, one of your parents speaks some Spanish and the rest and everyone in the extended family only speaks Spanish, these kids are now able to, I mean, parents are commenting, like now they're able to talk to their grandma and their aunt and their uncle. Bringing people together in a way that, um, that they wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Yes. And it kind of levels the playing field of instead of Oh, you don't speak English? Um, you better learn that. Um, it's mm -hmm. it's both are great, and we value both, and we want to cultivate both, and both kind of build on each other. I wonder, did you did Eau Claire look to other schools that have done this before? Do you have a sense of how unique this is um, for schools in Wisconsin? Um, they, I mean, yes, I mean, I, I couldn't quote numbers, but during the study process, um, the team visited a few dual immersion programs around the state. Um, and we've been connected with like our local CISA, you know, um, CISA 10 and, um, Wisconsin DPI, um, and other districts we've kind of made friends with other districts that we've been able to connect with to compare notes, talk about common struggles um, because we want to make sure that we're all that. So yes, I know it's unique, um, but we're trying to capitalize on the successes that are out there and try to make sure we're providing the best program we can for our kids. 
Do you see this as maybe a model that some other districts might want to follow in the future? They might look to your success and say, hey, this is something that we want to do in our community. I, that would be fantastic to be viewed like that. Um, yes, that would be fantastic. And there are other communities with more native Spanish speakers too. Um, so it's becoming a little more common. Um, Has it been challenging to find just the right teachers? Yes. That, and that is the challenge. That, thank you. That was the, 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 the yes, but kind of to my answer uh-huh. is that is the challenge. And I know this from around the country, um, this because it requires unique certification. Um, and teacher shortage anyway, right? So, yep. you know, you're already struggling with a teacher shortage and now you have this very narrow, you know, they've got to have these certain qualifications. Yep. This, the, yeah. This proficiency in Spanish. Um, there's a bilingual bicultural degree um, and then being a great teacher so right the the that is a um, is a big challenge I mean across the country it's it's we're not alone in that but that is um, a struggle that programs face what do you hear from the teachers who you have found I mean do they find it rewarding what what are what are some of the challenges and successes that they share with you um, I th- they work so hard. Um, the challenges would be trying to find, trying to build systems, broader systems to support that those those kids with unique needs, um, because we don't have like a bilingual s- school psychologist say, or a bilingual special ed teacher. Uh, I mean, we're looking for obviously when we're hiring, that's high on my list. But there aren't many bilingual people. Sure. Um, so, like one of the things that we do is um, that you can you can apply for an internship um, through WIP, which is um, like all of the institutions of higher ed do this. So I we applied because our goal is to get somebody in for an intern, and then they'll love it so much that then the next year they're going to want to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we've, we've got one posted now and I advertised to all of the IHEs, the higher ed institutions in Wisconsin and Minnesota that offer the bilingual bicultural. So in like, you know, I'm like literally knocking on doors kind of a thing. Um, so that is one thing that we're doing also trying to connect with other districts and, and been like, what success have you had? And what ideas have you had? Um, another technique we're trying to do is when there is someone bilingual in the district that may not have the right certification, but might have the right skill set, seeing if we can kind of grow our own, in mm-hmm. essence. Um, but that is, I mean, that is a, the, a primary challenge and primary struggle. Um, yeah. And what do you do? I mean, you, if you have a child that has some special needs or you don't, how do you handle that if you don't have that bilingual component? I'm also curious about whether or not you are able to incorporate this in things like music education. Yes. Good question. I'll answer the second one first because mm-hmm. it's easier. <laughs> sure. Um, and then, yeah. Um, I got carried away here. So yeah, no, that was good. They're both good questions. The, uh, so yes, like our music teacher, art teacher, fire teacher, the building, the rest of the building has really um, incorporated it. So like the music teacher has added um, Spanish 
music and culture into the curriculum. Um, so it's woven in and like, like our, the signs in the building are all, you know, both languages, like, like it, um, yes. So, so the many different parts of the building have, um, really said, like, how can I connect kind of a thing, which has been nice to watch. And then the first one. Yeah. The challenges with, um, not having, uh, you know, those, those support staff people who have that bilingual component. Yes. They're basically a whole lot of people working really, really hard and reaching out. We, several of us went to a training um, given by Wisconsin DPI that is about, uh, it was called Welcoming Bilingual Learners with Disabilities into Dual Language Programs. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the state is working on a, on a special guide also. Um, so we have a book, we've got some training. So we're, we're, um building it as we go and tr- reaching out to wh- whoever has the expertise so that we're doing the best we can because that is the, those are the, the 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 times that are most frustrating i mean many are thriving and that's fantastic but we want everybody to thrive what do you think parents should consider if they're taking a look at the the traditional school model, the dual immersion schools, the other charter schools that are uh, available, what do you think parents should consider when trying to decide which type is best for their child? Um, first, I would say go, like we always have an open house and I'm sure other places do too. Mm-hmm. Part of it is, or call for a tour, like I'll, I tour people all the time, getting to, to actually your boots on the ground in the school to see how it feels, what it looks like, I think is huge. Like there isn't a, like you're there, we can't say like, nope, you're not good for dual immersion. You can't do that. The family can say that I think this might not, this might not work. I'm going to do something different. So like, like, let's say one example might be a child who's super duper anxious and struggles to learn that are we, the conversation with the family, then is that the best setting for the child? Um, And we want it to be the best setting for the child. So those sorts of things are conversations because we want every, you know, we want to serve everybody well. Well, I want to thank you for telling us about this incredible program. It sounds sure. just really so interesting. And I had, I had no idea that this was even happening in Eau Claire. So I'm, I'm so glad that, that you were here today. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm glad to uh, talk about it. This is Route 51. I'm Shereen Siebert. Once more, extending a sincere thanks to our guests, Sarah Fisher, Chamomile Nuss, and Elizabeth Channel. Ezra Wall and Joey Ratchkramer assisted in producing this program. Thanks to John Altenberg for the Route 51 theme. You can hear the archive of today's program as well as our previous programs at wpr.org route 51 and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Wisconsin Public Radio.